0: CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live Bible answer program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a question on the Bible or the Christian faith, you can call us at 1 888 827 5276. That's 1 88 Ask CSN. Now let's get things started. Here's today's host.
1: Well, hello there, everybody, and welcome to the Friday edition of To Every Man and Answer. I'm John Randall, filling in today for Mike Kessler and joining me on this program, 25 miles north of Mount Rushmore, Pastor Greg Blanc, Calvary Chapel, Rapid City, South Dakota. Greg, awesome to have
2: you here today, brother. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. What a privilege it is to be on the show and even greater privilege to be on with the John Randall. Unbelievable.
1: Wow. wow. Unbelievable. Thank you can for I, that uh, introduction. Can I have a
2: dollar? You owe me a dollar.
1: Yeah. I, I'll, I'll say it's, it's coming. No. I'm going to Venmo you. Well, anyways, folks, welcome to today's. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, before yeah, we get to our calls, you know, Pastor Greg and I, we were talking a little bit about what's been going on in Asbury and other places. We hear the word revival sprouting up, and it's something that we pray for, we look for. And we're seeing some things happen and people have questions and they wonder, well, what's that about? Is that genuine? How do I know if it's a real revival? You know, you know, Greg, when you see these things unfolding in other places, what's your take on it? What do you think about what's been happening in recent days?
2: Well, h- how can you not? How can you not be excited about what we're hearing is going on in Kentucky and what is being spread out to uh, to uh, to other areas and other colleges? uh around and uh revival or is it just a time of renewal i don't know i don't know i think that uh i think that time will tell but i'm with you love always trusts. i'm praying that this is this is the real deal and that uh as a result people are going to be getting saved. not only you know what you know how all this Got started. One guy at the end of just a, nor- a normal chapel service, right. just most everybody else takes off, and there's about 20 people that are just kind of lingering there and doing a little worship, and and the the conviction of the Holy Spirit falls on this guy, and he just starts repenting of the stuff that's going on in his life. And you know what Psalm 51 says? It says, "says The Lord will never despise a broken and a contrite spirit," and and Rep- people repenting of their sin it shouldn't be as uh as exciting to me as it is but but i don't i just don't see it enough i wish we saw it more so hallelujah for uh god using um one young man to 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 be his instrument to start a fire and and look how many other people jumped on that and said, well, gosh, I need to repent. I need to get right. I need to get right with the Lord. If I had cherished sin, right? Psalm 66, if I had cherished my heart, the Lord would not have heard my prayer. So I'm with you. Two thumbs up, two thumbs up and trusting uh, it comes. I'm trusting it comes to our church and yours as well.
1: Yeah. And revival is something that has to happen in the church. The the world doesn't need to be revived. The world needs to be saved. The church needs to be revived. And so whatever your take is on it, you know, people have different opinions. I had some good friends that were on the ground actually flew there interviewing people firsthand and I've been in contact with them, and so much of what's been going on there has been legitimate. Whatever you want to call it, it's a work of the Spirit. We praise God. One other announcement I want to make before we go to the phones, and that is this. This weekend, Jesus Revolution, a wonderful, powerful movie. I saw the the preview of it. I actually watched the film personally before it was released. It's awesome. Tonight, I know, uh, Greg, you've Sold out some theaters we've sold out four theaters we're we're excited to go and uh, and see what god's going to do it's a wonderful movie, and it does talk a lot about um the roots and history of Calvary Chapel, how it got started, and the jesus movement and so uh it's going to be exciting. I encourage you get your tickets, go check it out. And you're going to be blessed. I think you're really going to be excited when you see it, but let's go to the phones right now. And if you have questions, you can call us here at eight, 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 ask CSN. That's eight, 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 ask CSN. I want to go out to Steven there in Greenville, South Carolina, Steven, welcome to the program. You're on to every man and answer. How can we help?
3: Uh, Yeah. um, I've, I've had a contract hard and a broken spirit for a while and been trying my best to get right with God. And, um, I, the, um, this past week, I went with a friend to a holy place in Greenville called the Free Place mm-hmm. and was there for almost probably 30 minutes to an hour with abuse views and, uh, and viewing the monuments that people left behind. And as soon as we left, um, we got into like a major argument. And I felt like it was kind of like either being blasphemy or, or grieving the Holy Spirit. Because I've been, I've been
4: really hurt.
1: Mm. Yeah, I don't
4: know. I don't know. I don't know God right. can get me for the things I've done.
1: All right, Stephen, thank you so much, brother, for your call and your question. And we're going to answer that question for you. You know, there is a difference, uh, Pastor Greg, between uh the grieving of the Spirit or the quenching of the Spirit and the blasphemy of the holy spirit can you help us understand what, is it, what does it mean when jesus said all sins will be forgiven except the blasphemy of the holy spirit what does that mean from scripture
2: well in context what jesus was saying there uh, you know it's in i think mark and matthew I'm not sure if it's in luke but, but it was when the pharisees were actually attributing the works of god to satan They were saying that he was doing it by the power of Beelzebub. So that's what that's what it really means uh, in context to uh, blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Now, quenching, quenching or grieving the Holy Spirit. Oh, we do that way, way, way too often. And and your specific question here, you know, uh, Stephen, about about being grieved because you've been in an argument with a brother or a sister, that's good. That's good that that bothers you because the Lord desires unity. How good, right? How good and pleasant it is when the brethren dwell in unity. Now, uh, both John and I and everybody else who's been on this program, uh, we know that at times there is no way around uh, not coming to a different conclusion arguing you know possibly with a brother or a sister or something and and you do your best to take the high ground when you can if it's a if it's a biblical non-essential then you try to be the peacemaker and agree to disagree Mm -hmm. but there are some people that will throw down over just about anything and 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 i'll tell you this i've experienced this personally that that Christians are way too fast to throw away friendships, John, do you know what I mean? I understand people people are just way too fast and Stephen, it sounds like 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 not only are you grieved that you've been in a in a discussion it sounds like maybe this other person that you're in uh, uh a bit of a beef with maybe they've they've closed the door to to your friendship or just said some really really hurtful things. And, and maybe you just need to give the Lord a little bit of time to work on that person's heart and, uh, and maybe on your own a little bit. I know that, uh, I know that the Lord does that with me. He only holds me responsible for my end of that discussion. And the same thing, uh, with you, Stephen. So, uh, so be of good cheer. Just let the Lord search your heart and then, uh, attempt to be a peacemaker if possible. Pastor John. Yeah, I appreciate that. And Stephen, we're going to pray for
1: you uh, after after this and lift you up. And, you know, the Bible says as much as is within you, live peaceably with all men. You seek to, you know, how can two walk together unless they be in agreement? So we seek to find common ground and there is common ground at the foot of the cross. And so we're going to pray for you and pray that God would restore that. And uh, Father, we thank you today for Stephen calling from Greenville. Lord, obviously, the emotion in his voice, his heart broken, and Lord, he's contrite before you. I pray that where there's the need for mending of relationships and, Lord, um, reconciliation, you're a God of reconciliation. So we pray, Lord, that you would bring them back together and that you would restore fellowship, Lord. And that would be a tremendous witness to this world when they see brethren, believers dwelling together in unity. And we ask this Amen. in Jesus' name. And yeah. Stephen, if you stay on the line, we'd love to send you out some DVDs, some things that really will encourage you. The guys would love to take care of you. Thanks so much for calling today. Let's go out to Clint in Colorado. Uh, Clint, what part of Colorado are you in?
5: Morgan County.
1: All right. Well, thanks for being on the program. How can we help you today?
5: Yeah, I have a question. Um, uh, where does it say in the Bible about... Five percent offering. Five percent offering. Yep, five percent offering.
1: Okay, ten percent and five percent. Great question. You know, this is an Old Testament concept concerning the tithe, and oftentimes we carry that over into the New Testament. And sometimes Christians have, well, like you're saying, Clint, what, how much should I give, and what should I give? If that's what they gave under the law, what am I supposed to give under grace? Um uh, Pastor Greg what are some thoughts about giving today I know sometimes people want to you know some places they're really heavy on the giving if you don't <laughs> give God's not going to bless you but but you should give because well because we want to our giving is an act of worship and it's a response what would you say and do you know where it says 5% and
2: 10% Yeah well um it doesn't say 5% or 10% anywhere in the Bible it does, especially as you brought up, John. It does talk about the tithe, the tithe, Leviticus and Numbers. I think Deuteronomy mm-hmm. uh, as well. And and tithe, it does mean it does mean a tenth, a tenth, a tenth of. Mm-hmm. And and in the Old Testament, that was just that was just the beginning point. There were many offerings that you could give uh above that but uh, when it comes to the new testament there's not a there's not a 5% mandate or a 10% mandate anywhere you know second corinthians 9 just tells us that each one is is uh is to give as he's decided in his is in his heart because the lord loves a cheerful giver. Now the practical side of that, you know, as a as a pastor and a, and you know, in many ways a manager of a body of Christ, there's there there are practical needs to provide a facility that allows for the corporate worship, the corporate worship of the lord, but but like you, I don't know what you have at, at your church, John. But but we don't take time in our announcements for a uh, to receive a formal offering, and we don't we don't put bags on sticks and stick them at people's faces until uh until they feel guilted into giving. We just have an agape box. We have an offering box, one in the back of our sanctuary, and people just try, uh, drop off their uh, their ties and offerings there on the way in or the way out. We the way that that uh, when I do announcements, or one of our guys does announcements, we, uh, we just say that that we don't have to teach you what the Bible says on your responsibility to give towards the furtherance of God's kingdom. You know, we're not going to ever tell you what to give or uh, that you have to give, but we would encourage you because there is a blessing in, uh, in giving towards the furtherance of the kingdom of God. John?
1: You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the Apostle Paul made it a practice in the churches where they would set something aside at the beginning of the week to help further the work of the ministry and churches in the new Testament. It's not so much about percentages, but rather about proportionate giving, giving, let everybody be convinced in their own mind. And the Bible also tells us when it comes to giving to the Lord, that it should be an act of worship and that God loves a, listen to this, a cheerful giver. The word is hilarious. Hilarious. Listen, if you can't give to the Lord hilariously, then keep it. Because it's not going to do you any good. This isn't some pyramid scheme where if I give to God, then he's going to owe me. God's a debtor to no man. I'm amazed personally at how much God allows me to keep. I also realize everything I have is ultimately his. Now, 10% for a person who makes an exorbitant amount of money, it may be no sacrifice at all. But to the person who makes very little and gave 10%, that's a huge sacrifice. God is more concerned, not so much about how much we give, but the way in which we give, the heart in which we give. And so Jesus said, when you do your charitable deeds, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. You don't need to promote it or pronounce it. Um, God knows, and so just give unto him as um, an act of Worship, and I think that's the blessing. And we're laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. I do believe, Greg, that there's going to come a day when we get to heaven, we're going to be amazed at what we invested in and the returns that we will receive in glory. What a blessing that's going to be! So, Clint, I hope that helps you out there in in Colorado. Does that answer your question for you?
5: Well, yeah, it did. So, I'm guessing there's nowhere it says in the Bible about five percent offering um
1: I am not familiar with the 5% offering. There is the mention of the tithe, which refers to a 10th. But there's also other offerings under the law in which they would give. And uh, But again, when you come to the New Testament under the New Covenant, we give proportionately as the Holy Spirit leads us. And because we want to invest in the kingdom of God and there should be it should be unpressured, you shouldn't have to uh, feel uh, guilted into it. You should do it just because you love Jesus, and, and it's important to do that. So, And there's a blessing to those that give. So, Clint, I hope that helps you, brother. Thanks so much for calling today. If you stick on the line, we'd love to send you some things uh, just to invest in you, that you might be blessed, and appreciate you calling in today. Let's go out to Pat in Bend, Oregon. Pat, welcome to the program. So glad to have you on today. Thank
6: you for taking my call.
1: You, bet. you know, by the way, Pat is my mom's name. I just want to <laughs> shout out to my mom. So, Pat, glad to name. have you on. Yeah, I say so.
6: <laughs> so, you know why I was calling?
1: Well, can you tell us a little bit about your question?
6: Sure. Uh, we had Bible study last night, mm-hmm. and we're in the book of Romans. Mm. So, in chapter 3, verse 21, it talks about the righteousness of God apart from the law, um, and then it goes on, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. My question is, why is one word law with a lowercase l and the other witnessed by the law and the prophets a capital L? Because it then goes on in chapters 27 and 28 to again repeat the word law, but again it's in lowercase. Mm-hmm.
1: That is a wonderful question, Pat. You know, first of all, let me say that when you look at the scriptures, and they would refer to the Old Testament scriptures, they are classified as the law and the prophets. You remember Jesus, when he was ministering, uh, he was sharing with someone that this this loving one another, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, you're fulfilling the law and the prophets and and so the uppercase l is a reference it's that classification of old testament law and prophets and that is what is referring to i believe uh pastor greg what do you think about that
2: you know uh i am just looking it up in the strongs right now because you know i've been studying the bible for 33 years or so and i've i've never noticed that so well done pat for being a student of uh, of the bible so here's here's the word the first time that uh law is mentioned there in verse 21 for it says uh but now the righteousness of god without the law that uh, greek word is nomos nomos <laughs> uh, almost like the spanish word of no more right remember roberto duran nomos so it's n o m o s. And uh, it literally, let's make sure I get my cursor back up here. It, uh, let me see if I can find that again. Small print, uh, it literally means a special, it's uh, uh, specifically speaking of the volume of, uh, of Moses. So we're talking about the Pentateuch, first five books, five books um, of, uh, of the Bible. And then, let me look a little further here, if I can see where it is. You know, in the King James, the second time, I'm reading, my Bible is a a New King James, and it is capitalized. What translation are you reading from, Pat? Same as you. Okay, New King James. So, uh, the second time, it's the same word. In verse 21, the second time, it's the same word, but here it's not it's not capitalized it's uh it's your strong's concordance 3551 in both in both instances but it looks it looks like it's the exact same greek word i'm looking it up in my uh, right one yeah, go ahead john
1: i was going to say you know matthew chapter 5 verse 17 i mean this really clarifies because jesus said do not think that i came to abolish the law and the prophets, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. It is simply a reference to the entire, the entirety of the Hebrew Bible. It's how they would classify it. So law, lowercase, I believe, um, would be the law that we were given, uh, which is righteousness apart from the law. Are you trying to keep the righteous right standard? The law and the prophets is a reference to the Old Testament. Uh, as revealed, it says, in the law and the prophets It's another way of saying revealed in the Old Testament thus it is capitalized i believe the strong's word is very interesting but and and what what was the other word that you were mentioning there greg
2: uh both of them are the same yeah it's n o m o s both of them it's just not so context obviously defines it wasn't it wasn't capitalized what it was in greek so we always know The original language depending on the context so uh, it's exactly as john uh just mentioned that jesus didn't say that he gave to fulfill i mean to 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 abolish but to fulfill and so he's talking about the complete text Mm -hmm. of the hebrew old testament
1: Yes, I would say one other passage that comes to mind, uh, Pat, is when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus and he was dialoguing with the two disciples and he began to share with them from all of the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, all things concerning himself. So the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the Psalms is just categorizing it. And that is why it would be capitalized. But I commend you for looking that up and trying to make the distinction there. Well done, Pat. Uh, does that answer your question for you?
6: So would that be, that would also, the capital L, include the Ten Commandments, the laws of God, or?
1: Well, the law and the prophets mentioned in verse 21 is a reference to, it says, revealed Uh, being witnessed, where's it witnessed by the law and the prophets. That's the old Testament scriptures, the old Testament scriptures. Paul is saying reveals that there is righteousness apart from the law. Where does, where does that show up? I would say the life of Abraham righteousness was, Abraham was declared righteous before the law, 400 years before the law was given. And so Paul's just making that point that it's, you can even see it in the law and the prophets that righteousness comes apart from keeping the law. You can't be made righteous By keeping the law, uh, and that's revealed in the law and the prophets is kind of uh, as you look at it contextually. There, does
2: that make sense? Can I mention? Yeah, John, can I mention one more thing? Yep. What? Yeah. You know this. This kind of makes it simple to understand because it's not just the word "law" that is capitalized; it is also the word "prophets." That are capitalized. So I think I think what the what the publisher the point that the publisher is trying to get across because it's not capitalized in the uh, in the original language at all. But what the, what, what uh, uh, um, I think that the uh, 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 publisher is trying to get across there is that it, that both the law and the prophets. So it's exactly what John said that it that it includes the entirety of the Hebrew Bible, but both of them are capitalized. Check it out. How does that help you, Pat?
6: It really does. I will go back to my class next Thursday and explain what you have told us.
2: There you yeah, go. Go, to, go to the Blue Letter Bible and print off print off the original language. They'll think you've become a theologian in a week. I I think she is a theologian. I'm just <laughs> well done, Pat. Even stronger the theologian. Yep. Good job.
1: If you stay on the line pat we'd love to send you out some materials. Thanks again. What a great call. And uh that's why we're here to try to answer and make sense of those things and um thanks for calling today. Let's go to Jeff. Jeff is coming to us from Lamar, Colorado. Now Jeff, listen, we were wondering beforehand, where's Lamar? Can you give us a little bit where's Lamar located in Colorado? It's 100 miles from Kansas. Oh, okay. I never Did you know we're that great Eastern Colorado? Yeah, that's
2: the east side. That's the east side, yeah. Ah.
1: All right. Well, thanks for calling today. And uh, how can we help you?
7: Well, in the book of Acts chapter three, the first miracle that the disciples did was uh, Peter and I believe it was John did was uh, heal a man. And it was on the ninth hour. Jesus Christ was his death. His death was on the ninth hour. And I was wanting to know if there was any significance of that
1: to that that's a really good question you know we were thinking about that i never even saw it i never made the correlation that they went up to pray at the ninth hour although that was a time of prayer and that jesus was crucified in the ninth hour hey what do you think about that greg is there a significance there or is it just it happened on the ninth hour
2: i think uh i think that probably a lot of things happen at the at, at the ninth hour i'm not sure that it would be good hermeneutics to tie, to tie the significance of the ninth hour to uh, the crucifixion.
1: Right. John. So basically that there really isn't a correlation between the ninth hour of Christ crucified and the ninth hour of Acts chapter three, when they went up to, which by the way is 3 PM. So it's 3 PM. They go up to the hour of prayer. And there were many times that they would go to pray. I think maybe three times a day, oftentimes they would go and pray, but 3 PM was that time. And Jesus died uh, around that time. So really it's the ninth hour basically is what we're saying. That's kind of what we, I don't know if there's any deeper significance in it, Jeff, but I want to commend you for seeing that (laughs) and looking into it because that says something about you. You're paying attention to what you're reading and the Holy spirit doesn't put things, you know, in scripture just to be redundant. Um, But the fact that you pointed that out is I, it's really commendable and I just say, well done on that. Uh, Greg.
2: Yep. I think you you answered it. Well, I, yeah, the, uh, they would pray, they would pray three times a day uh 9 a.m noon and uh and 3 p.m so ninth hour 3 p.m
1: yeah and jesus died uh, according to you know matthew's gospel luke's go- i mean the ninth hour so way to point it out jeff and uh good job out there in lamar and if uh does that answer your question for you yes it does and
7: another thing of uh, the rich man when he uh uh was in hell uh he was told when uh, he had a request to go to his brothers that they have the law and the prophets
1: let them hear them that's right Hey, you listened to the last question that's right that's another passage that was answering pat's question concerning the law and the prophets that's the old testament well done jeff sounds like you're a bible student brother love it god bless you stay on the line we'd love to send you out some books some dvds that'd be an encouragement to you thanks again for your call and way to study the word let's go out to sandy did i say that correctly in oregon what part of oregon are you there uh, Pal Butte. Pal Butte. All right. Well, glad to have you. How can we help you?
3: Um, well, I just want a little clarification on the new, I have trouble saying this word. Um, apostolic? Is that the word? Apostolic. Yes, apostolic reformation. Um, what are the tenets of that teaching? And is that, I understand that it's it's not um, a biblical teaching, but I just want some clarification. I have a very good friend that listens to Elevation, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to have, I wanted to know if I needed to steer her away from that teaching. Mm
1: -hmm. Oh, really good question. And boy, way to be discerning. The Bible says, uh, Pastor Greg, that in these last days, we need to be discerning that there's going to be different winds of doctrine that come through. Paul certainly throughout his epistles warned us concerning that. Um, What do you think about n-a-r new apostolic
2: reformation sandy uh, soundy soundy the hey we're gonna pick that up on the other side of the break thank you sir hey guys we're gonna be right back this is a really good question
1: stick around second half coming up see you in a minute
0: Hey, this is Brant along with Sherry here. And so you hear me doing these spots for MediShare, and Sherry actually helps me with them. I get people actually in person saying, okay, Brant, for real, do you recommend this? Like, yeah, uh, for real, I actually do. I'm not just saying stuff. So family, friends ask me about it. I'm like, yes, you should look into this. It's really a great option for a lot of people.
3: That's what I tell people my experience has been, MediShare has been Fantastic for me. Yeah. It's so different from health insurance in a lot of great ways, honestly. It, yeah.
0: And see, a lot of people who have switched tell me that. It's the same reaction. They're very, very happy with it. And it gives them peace of mind and saves them a lot of money.
3: I would tell people, look into it.
0: Yep. Uh, so really, for reals, uh, if you want to talk to them, they're great to talk to. I think you'll be impressed and happy you looked into it. So... Um, you do the phone number. I'm actually tired of doing all the <laughs> phone numbers. Okay. Call now.
3: 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE.
4: Nice job. Thanks. Does the Bible seem too big, complicated, and overwhelming? There's a free Bible resource that's been around for more than 25 years and is used and trusted by millions worldwide. The Enduring Word Bible Commentary by David Guzik is a clear simple way for everyday Christians and even seasoned Bible teachers to study God's word. David's commentary not only breaks down the entire Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse, it also provides helpful quotes from well-known Bible expositors throughout history. The commentary has also been translated into many languages, including Spanish, Arabic, Chinese, and more. Find the Enduring Word Bible Commentary, as well as a free downloadable eBook called The King's Kingdom, a deeper look at the Sermon on the Mount by David Guzik at EnduringWord.com for- Forward slash CSN. That's EnduringWord.com forward slash CSN.
1: back, everybody, to the second half of To Every Man and Answer. I'm John Randall, joined today by Pastor Greg Blanc out of South Dakota. And we were on the line with Sandy in Oregon. And she asked a really important question as it related to the New Apostolic Reformation. What is it? Should we avoid it? What do they teach? We need to be discerning in the days in which we're living. And Pastor Greg, you were about to respond to that. What can you tell us about NAR?
2: Sandy, thank you much so much for that question because a lot of people are asking about the new apostolic reformation or, or NAR because uh for some reason it certainly is gaining some traction yeah, at least in certain parts uh of the country but but uh NAR new apostolic reformation it's also known as uh, as kingdom now theology or dominion theology or dominionism and uh, they basically replaced, you know, what, what John says in uh, uh, chapter fourteen, where uh, where he's quoting Jesus saying that you know he goes to prepare a place for us to heaven, but but they believe they teach that we need to prepare earth for Jesus to return and to reign. So they do not believe. As far as I know, John, maybe you can correct me on this, but as far as uh as I know, they do not believe in a premillennial rapture. Um they believe that the rapture and the uh, and the second coming are basically the same event. Uh a lot of their uh practice that's let's, let's just put it that way, a lot of their practice seems to focus on uh, emotionalism and and uh, not where where John would be or where I would be. But we try to base everything we do uh, so on sola scriptura, which is scripture uh, scripture only. Um, I think that some of them, you know, I think that there's some of the folks that are laying hands on people and and they're taking titles of prophet and uh, and apostle and kind of self or ordaining themselves that they are able to get direct revelation, um, on, uh, on a regular basis, uh, from the Lord. And they're, you know, they, they're kind of with, I want to, I don't want to throw the baby out with a bathwater, but, but sometimes when people, uh, will, will go to a Bethel environment, sometimes even a Hillsong environment where, where that is produced, dominant the predominant theology the nar is predominant theology you see you see a lot of wacky stuff gold dust you know coming off coming off the ceilings and finding jewels in their meetings and then they have they have this practice known as as grave sucking you know where they'll go and lay on on the graves of saints and somehow uh Uh, the spirit of the living God is dwelling there in the dirt, uh, where these people are, are buried and they will, they will be able to receive, um, some of that anointing. So in, uh, in uh, the short, the short answer to, to my longer explanation is yes, this is, uh, this is a, a group that you want to steer people away from. I would not want, uh, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't be sending anyone that direction. Pastor John, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, they emphasize experience really over yeah. exposition of scripture. They and when you do that, when you give scripture, Sandy, a back seat, you open yourself up to all kinds of things. And the fact is, not many people today, uh, on the majority, read their Bibles. And so they're not able to discern what is right or wrong. And here's what I would say to let's take any movement. Uh, was it taught by Jesus? in the Gospels? Was it modeled by Jesus? Was it modeled by Jesus? Uh, or the I should say, was it modeled by the apostles in the book of Acts? Did they teach it? When you look at the epistles, do you find it there? And and if you find people doing things in the name of experience or the Holy Spirit that are not found in Scripture, you can set it aside because usually what will follow this getting away from Scripture is aberrant doctrine. Strange things are being taught, and and you know they have these revelations from God and things that don't line up with Scripture. And the interesting thing is, a lot of these people are really really gifted communicators and they are very charismatic in um, how they carry themselves and it's easy to get drawn in. But listen, the the devil comes as an angel of light. And so we need to be able to discern what's being said. And the best way to discern truth from error is to handle the truth. And the truth is the word of God. Um, Your question concerning elevation. I don't know enough about elevation church. Um, I wouldn't surprise. They may be involved with NAR. I cannot confirm uh, or deny that. I don't know for a fact but i do know if you are involved in nar um they are doing things that are unbiblical from fire tunnels that you name it all of these different things that you just don't find it in scripture and so i think that's where i would steer clear from that and i hope that answers it for you sunday does that does that help you a little bit
3: it does it gave me some bullet points to talk to her about because i did mention to her that i thought this was not a good a good biblical teaching place to go and um She, I I just didn't have, I couldn't, couldn't articulate why. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so that's what I was looking for with some ideas on why. I mean, I, I checked into Elevation, just listened to a little bit of a teaching. And the first thing that he, that the pastor said um, was that, you know, I had a conversation with God this morning and this is what he told me to preach. And I'm thinking, Mm -hmm. I don't know about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I understand. And yeah, I think, again, you gotta, you gotta have your Bible in hand. You gotta be listening intently. What is the fruit of what they're doing? What are they saying? How does it line up with scripture? You know, the idea of new revelations from God and I'm an apostle and, you know, these kinds of things um, are, are concerning. And so... The fact is, it's just the days in which we're living, Greg, and I think it's important that we uh, make sure that we stay, stay true to the Word of God. So, Sandy, I hope that helps, and we'll be praying for that conversation. Those aren't easy ones to have, but when you have to have a conversation like that, you know, the Bible says, speak the truth in love and you know when it comes to non-essentials there's charity but essential doctrines of the christian faith there is no unity unless we are united on essentials non-essentials well there's room for charity but when it comes to uh, essential doctrines there is no unity unless we're in agreement on those things so hey stay stay on the line sandy they're in oregon we'll send you out some materials hope they will be a blessing to you and encourage you god bless you let's go out to debbie debbie calling from florida debbie where are you in florida I'm in Lakeland. La- I know right where Lakeland is. I used to pastor in Brandon for a decade, right down the I, road from the law.
5: I have lived in Brandon almost my whole life.
1: <laughs> can you believe it? Yeah. Calvary Chapel, Brandon. Shout out to Calvary Brandon today. Yeah, we were there for 10 years. The church is still going and you're there wow. in Lakeland. Well, God bless you. Thanks yeah. for calling. Um, how can we help you today? What's your question?
5: Yes, yeah, thanks for taking my call. I have a question on how to deal with evilness by my parent, who has actually driven every, I'm the oldest out of six kids, and she has driven everyone away, including my father now, who they are fixing to go through a divorce for the second time. Um, she was raised Catholic, and she has some weird beliefs. She believes that She's seen God, but she doesn't acknowledge Jesus and says he's just a man. She thinks that the Bible is just a man-made book. And there's a lot of evilness in her that has caused every one of her kids, the grandkids, and some of the great-grandkids not to have anything to do with her, Um, except for one of my my younger siblings who has a, a somewhat to do, but he's very cautious so mm-hmm. I, my question is, how do you honor a parent who does nothing but evil against everyone in the family? And and what do you do? What is your advice on that? Because it's heartbreaking, and it's very, very
1: stressful. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, Debbie. And we're going to pray for you, too, before we hang up. But I think, you know, sometimes families, it's difficult, especially when, when houses are divided, Pastor Greg. How do you how would you counsel Debbie from the scriptures and what's the best way when you have this kind of division and it doesn't really seem that there's any way to be united. And how do you, how do you minister to somebody in that way?
2: Well, I think that we honor God when it comes to our parents. uh, You know, this number one, Debbie, this is not catching the Lord by surprise. And he knows, you know, no temptation has seized you except such as common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. And with the temptation will provide a way of escape so that you can stand up under it. So the reason that I share that is because... God has equipped you, Debbie. He has given you an inner strength to be able to uh, respond biblically and righteously and godly, even in the midst of an unrighteous and an ungodly situation. Like uh, I know that you're experiencing with uh, with your mom and maybe some other folks in your uh, in your family now. You know the Bible is pretty clear. It says, "Honor your uh, your father and your mother." You know, it's a first commandment. With uh, with a promise, but but how do we do that practically when we are put in uh, uh, in the situation where where a mom you know a mom who's supposed to have this incredible maternal and moms do they have an incredible maternal instinct and the enemy has just uh, gotten the best of her. What while you were sharing that, what the Lord brought to my heart was uh was two things number one is pastor mickey stoney at uh, when i was going to horizon christian fellowship back in the day the assistant pastor to mike mcintosh he taught us over and over and over that hurting people hurt people so obviously i don't have to tell you this debbie but but your mom is hurting and that old adage of misery loves company unfortunately uh it's true she's unhappy and she's only somewhat happy when other people around her are unhappy. So what she needs to see in you is grace and mercy and kindness and compassion. And, you know, in Proverbs, we're taught that uh, that a gentle answer turns away wrath. And the second thing that the Lord just mentioned uh, when you were talking was, let me on these glasses that i can actually read first corinthians 13 you know where it talks about uh the definition of love and and i know that initially debbie you're not going to be happy with this response but i'm going to encourage you to read through this um when when you get done listening to the show today and just ask the lord to bathe you in these characteristics of his love because through him you can love your mom you can't love your mom through uh through your own strength but you can love her through god's strength and here's the tough one love suffers long nobody likes that it means love is is patient and is kind and love does not envy doesn't boast it's not puffed up does not behave rudely even when she is acting rudely towards you we just need to take the higher ground to the best of our ability and you don't have to be a punching bag from any you know for anybody if you have to walk away then i think that's okay to say, mom, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're just having a disagreement right now. Um, I love you. And, uh, and maybe we can talk about this in 10 minutes or 15 minutes or, or, uh, or tomorrow. Love is not rude, does not seek its own, is not provoked, uh, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, uh, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So maybe, maybe just spend, uh, uh, a little bit of your devotional time later today or or tomorrow morning, and just uh, just beg the Holy Ghost to fill you uh, with all those attributes, especially when you know that you're going to deal with your mom. Be prayed up, Pastor John. Yeah, I
1: appreciate that, Greg. And I would also say, Debbie, that let's remember, and I know you do as a believer, that your your fight isn't with flesh and blood. Your, your fight is a spiritual battle, and there is power in prayer. And you can honor your mom by praying for you. I think in that situation, there are boundaries that have to be set, obviously, how you can minister to her and um, ways in which you can minister to her. And as you pray, I do believe that God's going to give you wisdom. The Bible says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and he'll give liberally to all those who ask, James tells us. And so as you pray for that wisdom and that love for your mom, God's going to equip you to minister to her and honor her in a way that pleases him. And so, uh, Father, we lift up Debbie to you today, and we ask, God, that you give her the wisdom she needs. Lord, be with her family as they seek to love and to reach out. God, show them ways, and we pray you get a hold of her mom. Lord, you would open up her her eyes and soften her heart. Lord, bring her to the saving knowledge of the truth, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Debbie, God bless you. Thanks for calling from Lakeland out there in Florida, and we'll send you some materials. If you stay on the line, uh, thanks again for the call, and say hi to all our friends out there in Brandon. God bless you. Let's go to Julie in Castle Rock, Washington. Welcome to the program, Julie. How can we help you today?
6: Yes, uh, thank you. I have a question about Leviticus 19. King Budd says in verses 3, 4, 9, 25, 31, and some other ones, he says, I am the Lord your God. Mm. And he kind of goes back and forth because in verses 12, 14, 16, 18, and 28, he says, I am the Lord. So I was just wondering what the difference is.
1: Okay, this is Leviticus 18 you said? Leviticus 19. 19. Okay, that helps. Leviticus 19 where the Lord is is telling the people and he's saying I'm the Lord your God. He's defining, hey, just so you know, this is who I am. You need to know who I am and and he's revealing himself over and over again. You know, Pastor Greg, what do you think uh the distinction is there or is it or is he just repeating himself over and over just to, you know, to, to make sure that hey, you know who this is, right? This is the Lord your God. We're talking about. I'm the Lord. Um, what do you think about that? Leviticus 19.
2: Yeah, yeah. I just looked it up, and you are you are right. It's in there a bunch of times, and uh, especially there in uh, in chapter 19. It looks like about uh, oh 15 15 times that at least the Lord is mentioned. But the difference between I am the Lord and I'm the Lord your God i think would be close to being symbiotic i think when when the word your is put on it's just a an emphasis like like remember i am your god i'm not just the ethereal the lord the great i am the self-existent one i am actually the lord i and i am and i am the lord your god and it's a It's a good reminder every once in a while, though, that uh, that we realize that he is the Lord, our God.
1: John, I believe that, too. Julie, I think he's just, you know, saying it over and over. I'm the Lord. I'm the Lord, your God. Same, same, same God, same Lord, but just emphasizing it, saying in a different way as you go through that chapter. And, you know, I I will say it's good to be reminded who the Lord is, that he is in control. And I appreciate you calling. Does that answer your question there, Julie?
3: Yes, yes, thank you. I appreciate it.
1: All right. Well, if you stay on the line, Julie, we would love to send you some materials out there in Castle Rock, Washington. Thanks so much for listening from out there, and God bless you. Let's go to Joshua in Weatherford, Texas. Joshua, welcome to the program. Glad to have you on. How can we help you today?
7: Hey, Pastor, how you doing?
1: Oh, Doing great, brother.
7: Uh, I just have a two-part question. Um, it is about the book of Acts. Um, First question is, real quick, who is the author? Second, um, it's to deal with chapter 6 and chapter 7 about Stephen. And my main focus here is his – it's kind of written to me as a first-person point of view, like especially when it talks about Stephen looking up and seeing heaven open and Jesus standing at the right hand of God – and stuff like that so i just want to know how do we know um were there other apostles there that saw that also and like when he's giving a speech to the sanhedrin he gives a very long detailed history of the israelites um i know it mentions saul at the very end of that but was saul present there is that how we know that's what he told the sanhedrin or who witnessed that and how do we know he saw uh, heaven opened? Were there other apostles around? Who are the witnesses? I just had, that's uh God. wanted some clarification there.
1: Oh, it's a great question, Joshua. And I love the way that you're reading the scriptures and you're asking questions. Those of you listening and part of the CSN family, it's a great thing to do, you know, to, to read the word, ask questions. What does this mean? And again, I commend you for that. I love that you're doing that. You know, Pastor Greg, when you look at the um, the authorship of the uh, the book of acts and what took place in, in the stoning of Stephen, who wrote it, who was there help us out brother.
2: Yeah. We know that the, uh, the author is Luke, Dr. Luke, the same who wrote the, uh, gospel of Luke and, uh, the book of acts, you know, it's the acts of the apostles, but, but, uh, but the focus seems to be on, uh, on the apostle peter on the apostle paul and many people believe that that uh that this is uh is very much a following of what what peter peter had told uh to luke directly so i think that's the that's the the simple answer i don't know if uh I think your question one of your questions was was he actually there was luke there at uh, at the stoning of stephen and the bible i don't think says but we trust under the inspiration of the god uh, inspiration of the holy spirit that uh, that it is the eternal word of god john
1: You know, in uh, Acts chapter 1, Joshua, it says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day which he was taken up. And and we find out that, well, what was the the first uh, thing that was written? You go back to the Gospel of Luke, and it's Luke, this is what's amazing to me, Joshua, is that Luke writes to this guy, Theophilus, and there's question about who was Theophilus, and well, we can talk about that another time. But nonetheless, he is the author of the book of Acts. And when Luke starts out writing the book, he, he's going back almost like a detailed interviewer. You look at the Gospel of Luke, he's the most detailed of the Gospels. He was a doctor, and he, he gets a lot of facts and puts things down that maybe some people that the other Gospels didn't record, and it helps fill in some of the, the gaps. And so as he continues... To write, it starts out as if in that same historical, he's asked the questions. He probably interviewed people. He got the answers. You were there that day. He also became, and later on in the book of Acts, he writes as in the first person. He's there with Paul, who used to be Saul, who becomes Paul. He becomes a companion. And no doubt, I mean, Saul was the one who held the coats of those who stoned Stephen. He saw everything. And if anybody had a command of Old Testament scripture like Stephen did, Paul, the apostle Hmm. did you read some of his, his epistles like Romans and others, and you realize, wow, this guy knew the old Testament. So it's not surprising that Paul would have easily been able to tell Luke, let me tell you what happened. Let let me give you my account of what went down that day. And this is, and, and he wouldn't be the only one who would be able to give the account. So I think it's safe to assume that as Luke accompanied Paul, that that's how the story was translated to him. And, uh, That would be my take on it. Uh, Greg, I don't know if you have anything else to add to that, but that's kind of what I would come away with. Nope. All right.
2: I got nothing there. I got nothing else. All right. Joshua, does
1: that answer for you, brother?
7: Um, In most part, yes. I was just really curious because it talks about first person Stephen seeing heaven open and stuff. And I don't know. Like I was just kind of asking like whether other apostles there to witness heaven being open that.
1: Well, Saul was there. Saul was there for sure. He was, he was holding the coats as people were stoning Stephen to death. And actually it was Stephen's sermon that Saul heard that actually impacted him. And you find him kind of picking up some of the things that Stephen was saying later on. So he was definitely there uh, when Stephen was murdered. And we also know the Bible says that, that men of God came and took the body of Stephen and and took it away so they knew where he was it wouldn't be hard for them to see an execution going down so i i would believe that that yes they could see some of the other apostles that were there in the early church there in jerusalem who had prayed over stephen commended him to be one of the first deacons that they would have they would have been there and seen that and safe to report even though stephen was staying in the first person that they they saw it take place
2: but i don't think that uh He saw that that anybody else but Stephen saw heaven opened. I think that was one of the questions. But Stephen was uh,
1: saying, right? He said, I see heaven opened. He said it, yeah. Yeah, he said it. So Stephen saw it. They heard Stephen say it. Luke writes it down. And uh, historically.
0: Does that help?
7: Possibly. Yeah, that helps. And maybe possibly it was revealed through the Holy Spirit to Paul later on or something. And like you said, he talked to Luke in, in an interview and stuff. And it could have been revealed that way, possibly. So, yeah, but um, that answers that. It helps a lot.
1: Yeah, good question. And again, I love the way you're studying the word, Joshua. And I, I, I'm i really, how old are you? Can I ask you? 36. Way to go, man. Way to study the word. Love it. Hey, you stay on the line. We'd love to send you out some materials and that will encourage you in your faith as you're a student of God's word. Great question today. Let's go out to Doug in Idaho Falls, Idaho. We're back to Idaho, Greg. Amen. How can we help you, Doug? i'm Thanks for taking my call.
7: You got I had a it. question about the end of Exodus 16. When I was reading this a few years ago, it struck me as a little odd. Uh, and verse 33 and 34 were about the omer of manna. And Moses said to Aaron, take a pot and put an omer of manna in it and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses. So Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. Now of course this is before they've gotten to Mount Sinai and they've been given instructions on the ark of the testimony and later on of course we know that the omer of manna is put inside the ark so I'm just wondering is what's the significance here it seems a little odd it's mentioning testimony before it's ever happened in the, in, the, in the narrative so far
1: Ooh, that's a really good question Doug. I like that so we're you know here we are looking at Exodus uh, there and it says, as you just read, that they're taking up uh, a part of that manna that had come down from heaven to provide for the people, and they were to keep part of it before the testimony. Oh, Pastor Greg, we need your help on this
2: one. What is the yeah.
1: testimony referring to here, brother?
2: Yeah, it's best just to get the context. Let me pick it up in verse 31. And it says, The house of Israel called its name manna. Remember that? They didn't know what it was. Yeah. Manna.
1: Oh, ah. my goodness. We just ran out of time. Doug, we're going to come back. <laughs> How about Monday? We'll we'll call it Man of Monday. We'll come back. Man of Monday. Talk about this question. It's a great question to ask. Folks, thanks for listening today. God bless you. Have a beautiful weekend. Get out and see Jesus' revolution. Be blessed.
0: To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Everyman and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226.